from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello, everyone. Hello. Who are we? Who are we? Um... I've given a lot of thought over the last week as to how to start the show. And I have written things down and thought I'd be formal with the presentation. And I've, uh, while driving the car on the 101 freeway, performed aloud for myself so that the cars driving by could see uh, me um, talking to myself. Uh, Versions of the opening of the show. But... What's really struck me about the last week, and I'm sure it's because I'm hosting a show and I spend so much time, a political show, and I spend so much of my time thinking about um, not just politics, but thinking about the show, thinking about, you know, the ideas of programming. I mean, we're just a wee little podcast now slash radio visual radio worth watching cast on the Toad Hop Network. But, um, But for in my universe, it's really important. I don't have a huge staff uh, to be pulling quotes and clips and vetting articles and pulling out the juiciest tidbits. And I find myself in a panic all week long because I'm not an expert on some of these things. Most of these things. All of these things. I'm not an expert. I don't, I'm not an expert on anything, which really is really disappointing <laughs> It's really, you think by 41 years, you know, I'm an expert in knowing I'm not an expert. That's what I guess I'm officially an expert in. But I, I found myself talking to my dad, my 81-year-old father, um, who was really getting a kick out of watching me squirm while trying to describe what it is that I'm doing with this show. And he just said, don't worry so much. Don't worry. He said, You're, the audience will be there. And he said, you know listen to them, really listen to them, and let your questions flow from your genuine curiosity about what they're saying, and you'll be fine. So that's my pitch uh, to you to call in now to the show, 888-520-4374 is the call-in number. And in order for this show to sing, to thrive, to grow and prosper in the way that I want it to, it really requires your involvement. The only pr- publicity we've done is what the network here has pr- promoted. You know, Frank and Heidi have talked about it, and the banners on the the ToadHopNetwork.com uh, site. So, if you're listening to this on an iPod webcast review, I encourage you to go to the ToadHop Network, ToadHop Web uh, ToadHopNetwork.com, and you can see them all archived. But um, the show needs you. We've done Twitter. You know, I've, I've tweeted. That's it. My 13,000 followers, bless you. Thank you for joining us. And um, the 33-some-odd uh, thousand followers of Sean, at Sean Aston. thank you for some of you. 
A scant few of you migrating over. Maybe there'll be some more now because I just did a, a uh, the reason we have a special time, I guess I should announce, the reason we have a special different time is that it was, uh, I spent the morning shooting a uh, comedy, uh, uh, sorry, a, a, a funny or die commercial with the NFL Players Association. So I spent a few hours interacting with a bunch of rookies in the NFL and it was really exhilarating actually. Um, but the only time when they had all those folks gathered together and when I could be there was during the time of our normal uh, airing of the show. So that's that's why I relate. So thank you if you've if you followed us. Thank you if you're going uh, back uh, and and listening to this. Um, but my point is that we need you. We need it to be your thing. When there's uh, followers who make comments, I mean, I, I have a. A really fun show here for some fun things that fun for me. I don't know. Fun to me is, you know, sitting watching C-SPAN and having a good conversation about it. Maybe not the same thing as fun for other people. But uh, there was, as soon as I announced uh, my guest on the show today, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, strident opinion uh, in opposition, I guess is a, is a elegant way of saying that, to, uh, to my um, guest's entire life. And his experience and his thoughts and his perspective and his uh, the impact that he's had, they just can't stand it. Um, and so there were you know tweets that had uh, great articles attached to them. This is it. This is how this show will live, is when people are engaged that way. Finally, finally, people are calling 626-VOX-TALK and leaving some messages. We'll play those in a little bit. I've encouraged them to participate, them, you. I've encouraged everyone to participate, either calling in live or um, or or calling this six two six Vox Talk and leaving a message that I can play on the air. And what I'm calling it is Hyde Park, Hyde Park, the uh, the legendary uh, place where Speaker's Corner, the Speaker's Corner is, where people would go and stand. I don't know if they literally st- stood on soapboxes in that place or if soapboxes were an American thing. I don't know. Go ahead and tweet about what soapboxes really are. I need to know. Uh, but th- that's it. There, unless you're breaking the law. Uh, or you are doing something that is going to disturb uh, the public peace in Speaker's Corner. You just stand up on your in your area and say whatever comes into your mind. So I've encouraged people to participate in um, in that uh, tradition by calling in today and being a part of our Speaker's Corner. Last week we did the micro-debate, and now we're doing this. Because what I realized is you um, in this civil discourse – arena that I'm trying to encourage us all to inhabit. This space of, you know, speak your mind, but do it respectfully, listen carefully, listen respectfully and all that. Something I think sometimes gets lost, which is uh, it gets boring. Not boring, but, but people feel inhibited from having a strong point of view. And as a kind of moderator of the discussion, I feel a little... Um, quick to judge people for for asserting themselves. So I, I don't want that to be the case. I want people to be able to speak their mind, say what they think, believe what they believe, know what they know, and also somehow allow that to, you know, accompany this civilized discourse thing. So anyhow, it was a big it was a big week for me in as as the uh, the creator, the founder of uh, Vox Populi. Because I, I, I booked two really cool guests, uh, one this week and one next week. And the first guest that I booked ha- was also the first uh, person that I ever reached out to to interview in a host capacity. Uh, and his name is Noam Chomsky, Dr. or Professor Noam Chomsky, uh, whose, whose name, the utterance of his name alone, 
uh, has some people cheering with adulation, um, celebrating the uh, the life and times and thoughts and wit and wisdom and uh, of uh, and the genius that is Noam Chomsky. It has other people ready to throw Molotov cocktails. They just absolutely loathe and revile him as uh, as not just anti-American, but as a as a a, a traitor. Um, Noam Chomsky's. I'll, I'll go into that in a in a little bit. But I'm I'm looking. I want to honor this blinking light and the person who is calling in right now. Uh, there's much more to say at the moment about our topic for the show, which I've promoted as being about uh, Governor Romney's uh, time at uh, Bain Capital and the way in which the Obama administration has um, has decided to use that time and experience and, and created ads. Uh, this one new uh, big ad got a lot of attention, and then the uh, Romney campaign responded with their ads. So we're going to play those ads. We're going to talk about it. We're going to read a little bit about um, about that experience, and then we're going to debate it. Uh, and I don't debate it. We're going we're gonna to talk our way through it. Uh, and the Noam Chomsky um, interview I'll, I'll play in there somewhere, and, and you know, he basically gives a nice, uh, encouraging thought for us um, and, and maybe lays down a little bit of a marker. But let me go and talk to uh, Brett in Jacksonville and see what's on uh, Brett's mind. Brett, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you? Uh, quite well. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing. Uh, somehow I seem to stress myself out before uh, before every. My, this is my third episode hosting the show, and somehow I work myself into a tizzy every time. But no, basically I'm doing well, and I'm glad that you're uh, glad that you're calling. Were you able to listen to the the opening kind of uh, words that I said at the top of the show? Uh, I, I missed uh, the very beginning as I was uh, just picking up my daughter from school and we were racing home to. Uh, to oh uh, man, Brett, that was the best part. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say anything she's of consequence. A, she's a huge fan of yours, by the way. Yeah. Your your daughter is? She's sitting here looking at your IMDb thing going, he was Raphael? I am. Whoa, not was. I am. I'm going to be. Right uh, tell her, I said, what's her name? Hold on a second. Okay. Her name's Bethany. Bethany. Hi. Hi, Bethany. How are you? Good. I can't. I have three daughters, and I can't imagine calling into a radio show uh, because my daughter likes the personal issue. You've got a really good dad. <laughs> do you know that? No. Well, I'm telling you. Do you do you? So you like the the Ninja Turtles, right? Yeah. And you know I'm gonna and I am I am playing Raphael in the new Ninja Turtle show, right? Uh-huh. So with all the authority vested in me the, by playing a character on a show that's animated, I'm telling you, your dad's a cool dad to, to do that. Um, are you are you paying attention at all to? Is this the first time you've you know about this show I'm doing? Yes, sir. Do you know what it's about? No, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Don't call me, sir. I work for a living. I'm not in the military for Pete's sake. Uh, how, how old are you? Twelve. Twelve. Do they talk about politics at all? I know they talk about government when you're 12 in school. Do they talk about politics at all when you're in school? Uh, we haven't gotten to that section, no. You haven't gotten to that section. Everything we do in our life, in public, in some way, in some way, has something to do with politics. Uh-huh. And, and you may or may not know that, but it's true. The way you get to school, what you study when you're at school, where you shop, what you talk, what phone, what kind of computer you use, everything in some way, shape, or form, somebody in political life, in public life, has had to think about and have made decisions about. So, are you happy with everything that you 
do in your life? Is your life perfect? Well, not perfect, but it's pretty great. <laughs> All right, so you're like most Americans. Well, I would encourage you to do this, Bethany. I would encourage you to listen to what your your dad and I are about to talk about, and maybe a little bit more of the show. Uh, it's for, it's Thursday, so you probably have homework. So I would you know make sure you get to, and you're on the East Coast. Have you done your homework? Uh, yes, sir. You've d- Stop calling me, sir. Uh, <laughs> so you've done your homework. Okay, so, so enjoy listening a little bit. And then uh, I would encourage you, when you think about, um, you know, you'll hear lots of ads r- voting for, you know, trying to get you to vote for this person or that person, or not you, but get people to vote for it. You're, you're already starting to develop your uh, point of view, your worldview. And I would encourage you to keep your mind really open and when somebody says something and it just sounds exactly right and it sounds perfect, make sure you, you are thinking it all the way through. Critical thinking skills are really, really important. And then, and then you'll get involved. You'll get involved in ways that your dad will help you figure out. And this is one way, calling into the show. If you hear the show and you have a question, then either call back or send in a little uh, an email and ask your question. I'll try and answer your question, okay? Okay. All right, let me talk to your dad. Okay. <laughs> Bright red. She's bright red right now. <laughs> I tried to tell her you were a good dad. She was like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, go. I, first of all, I just wanted to say that I think this is a really awesome idea you've got here. Um, as I've gotten older, I'm 46 now, and as I've gotten older, uh, I've uh, come to the conclusion that political discourse has just eroded to such a degree that it's amazing we uh, even talk to each other anymore. And... Uh, uh, that's my biggest beef with with politics these days, is the fact that uh, all we do is yell at each other, and we don't listen. So I think it's do you cool. do you find yourself having an opportunity to to have good conversations, or find yourself in in kind of heated debates with people, or do you, have you withdrawn from that? Uh, a little bit both. Uh, I am uh, I, 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 one of those individuals who gets louder as I get more passionate about something. Uh, and my wife's in here nodding her head at that. But, uh, <laughs> We, uh, Volume is a uh, is sometimes constructive and sometimes not. Well, it, it depends. The idea is to be respectful. I mean, you can be loud, you know. As, as long as <laughs> In my family, we were really loud, but I'm pretty sure most people watching it wouldn't think it was respectful. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody. My brother and I get together. We 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 will debate both sides of a of something we actually both agree in, just for the sheer delight of debate. But uh, most people think we're mad at each other. Mm. We're not. We just get progressively louder. <laughs> um. I, I didn't get a chance to call in and, and put my little rant on this morning because I was at work, but uh, I, my current today's rant beef would be... Uh, Wait, hold on. Should uh, I start the clock? Uh, I, well, you could be no, my first... It'll be 90 seconds, but it's, it's actually kind of probably shorter than that. All right, that. go ahead. We'll, we'll go on the honor I, system. Just just quickly, you know, political correctness and over overreaction to things uh, of late is is... Both parties are doing it, and it just irks me to no end. If somebody says something that's unkind or, or, or you know, spiteful or mean, it doesn't mean that, that they hate everybody of that particular group that they're talking to. Uh, I've got a good friend who runs a, a progressive blog, and he is constantly guilty of this. You know, um, you know, somebody says something bad about a woman, and he's a misogynist. Somebody says something bad about somebody that of an a per, of an ethnic group or or a particular sexuality, um, and suddenly they're a racist or they're a homophobe, and and that's not necessarily the case. And and I think once you label somebody, you're no longer listening to them, mm. and so you're losing half the argument right there. Mm. And uh, I I feel that even if you have you're 46, huh? 
Yes, sir. Where, and what do you do? You, no wonder that's where she gets it. Stop calling me, sir. I said I'm I'm 41. I'm not a. I don't know. Maybe I'm. So okay. Tell me. Tell me I'm something. A, I'm, a, I'm a transplanted Southerner. That's just the way we are, sir. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> I told. Uh, well, dare I tell tales out of school there? But uh, but I, I told one young man once that uh, that si- calling someone sir is not. In, and I'm not to you know this doesn't no, no, have to do with you. But it's different call, up north for one thing, and it's different out west. Well, no, you just can't you can't say sir and then be a pig about it. <laughs> you right. have to back up your right. sir with action, which which you clearly are doing. But the, let me ask you a couple of questions. You are you're transplanted. So what do you do for a living? Uh, I uh, currently run a. Uh, uh, IT test center for uh, uh, the school district and here uh, Duval County Public Schools. And, so you uh, so you work uh, you work in the public is uh, it's the taxpayers who are funding your uh, your I, professional. I life. have I have been on the uh, public dole uh, for most of my career. Yes. Well, I think you need to raise. I'm happy to I'm happy to chip in a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> um, that, it was a conscious decision. Um, I, I came off the road. Uh, I was a, a Microsoft instructor for a long time, and which is quite lucrative. Uh, not quite as lucrative as what you do, but uh, it's sometimes. And, and uh, I just got tired of being on the road, and, and it was right around the time that uh, uh, the Iraq War broke out, and uh, I, I was too old and out of shape to go back into the service. So this was my way of giving back. And uh, my wife's a teacher, uh, and so she had an in, and it uh, kind of progressed from there. It's a we're pretty large school district, uh, 130 some odd thousand kids, or roughly that. And uh, so people would think that you know pe- people involved in public education, um, that you know generalizing is always a disaster because you just you you run aground. But but I you know a lot of the public school educators that I know both in the you know in in the administrative side and, and in the uh, you know in the classroom and stuff um, are are Democrats yes in public school is that a fair I, do you think that's is that I, I think that's actually a, a fairly large misconception um, I, I in my my uh, experience it, it's pretty evenly divided as it is with any other uh, group of people you've got uh, the military too. I was shocked to find there were Democrats in the military. <laughs> uh, there are a few. There are a few, and 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 actually there are quite a few. It's it's, uh, but what you'll find is they're not they don't fall neatly into that category. Like I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Republican by any stretch of the imagination. You're not a, a card carrying member of any political party. Uh, I am not a card carrying member. I'm I, I'm a Democrat, but I don't. Nobody give me a card ever. I don't. Where, where do you I'm, get one of those cards? That's right. I'm technically a Republican, but that's mostly so that I can have a say in our state's primaries. Um, I, I, do, I do not agree with the Republican Party in any way, size, shape, or form. Uh, I would have loved to call in on your last show and, and chime in about uh, about the gay marriage debate, um, because I, I basically uh, I think the government needs to stay heck out of our bedrooms, and, and that's a personal. All right. Well, let me let me transition you then into into today's talk, which is which is going to revolve around the. Uh, the brouhaha. I started, you know, a week ago it was gay marriage. Now it's the the Bain Capital. Next week it's the the public's attention just is 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 just shifted in whiplash fashion on on right. different subjects. So um, as I've been thinking about this show, trying to uh, provide a, a forum where we might be able to. You know, dig a little deeper or spend a little bit more time on stuff than than some of the big outlets uh, than the mainstream news does, and and you know, in this way. So so today, I, I really wanted to go with the Bain Capital uh, Governor Romney 
um, issue because I thought that it's it's rare. I don't know that people are one. You know, most people are not one issue voters. I, I you know when I put out a call kind of early on in this process, I found that uh, there's some pro life uh, folks who that is the issue for them, and and oh, yeah. they, they there don't. Are a lot of them down here in the south that are single issue. Let me tell you. Well, I don't. Uh, okay, so so we know that. So uh, and we you know we debated whether that was a healthful uh, you know a healthy thing for the for the you know the overall um, good of the country to to be a one issue debater. But but this particular one seems so useful to talk about. You know, because there's there's a specific record about his leadership of that uh, that institution, that financial institution. There is a very clear way the Obama administration is characterizing his time there in a, in right. a very specific way, and he's defending it. They're both using that experience. They're, they're using the truth to twist it to a particular point of view, and and it, uh, well, it's capitalism, right? It. It's ca- I mean, I have Noam Chomsky right. on. It is capitalism. Neither one of them has lied about his record. Um, but how you characterize that record is is uh, is the question, and the question that I put back, and 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 I, I mentioned this uh, in, a, in a response tweet um, today, is that uh, you know both of them are 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 full of it, and it's it's it, it doesn't really matter. The All right, but tell is, me tell me something. Tell me something. Okay. When you see, have you seen both commercials, the Steel commercial and the American yeah, oh, Dream yeah, commercial? Yeah, it's been on heavy rotation. Heavy rotation. I actually, I, because of your show today, I went and looked up his record because I wasn't very familiar with it. Where did you go? Where did you go to look up his record? Uh, well, the first place I went to was Wikipedia. But, right. Uh, you know, but what, did Romney or or Bain Capital or what? Last guy to, to type some stuff in about it. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I I tried to stay away from his campaign and I tried to stay away from anybody else's campaign slogans because. Everything you're going to read about it right now, especially the first 20 pages on Google, were were all somebody with an opinion one way or the other, and it was it was difficult to well, find. Opinions facts. are good. Oh, you just want the fact, which is so important. But okay, and then where did you go from there? Anywhere else? Uh, yeah, I just I, I looked around to, to try and find facts of his record of actually what he did, and and what it boils down to is he did what he was supposed to do as the CEO of the company, and he made money for his clients. Uh, and he was very successful at it. He had uh, roughly 113% return on investment. And, you know, they, they had some hits. They had some misses. They uh, uh, he, he uh, uh, they kind of changed the way that uh, takeovers were done at the time and not necessarily just liquidating the companies, um, uh, although they did sometimes, and, and people did lose their jobs, but a lot of people made new jobs. So, I mean, you can sit there and, and peel off a statistics, well, you know, X number of thousands of people lost their job because they have, and, and that's that's true, but X number of people also gained jobs because of what his company did and, and some of the leadership that they helped in, in you know. Well, it's uh, interesting because they say, you know, there's this the GS Industries, and then there's Bain Capital, Capital, right? Mm-hmm. And the the company invested in a minority sh- stake in right. in the uh, in the G- in GS Industries, right? Is that my, do I have that right? Yeah. Is it more? And, and then they had a majority stake in the Bain Capital uh, in in um, in the steel the the Kansas City uh, Steel uh, Company in, the, in uh, well I can't remember the name of the plant, but uh, but they so the one of the ways that they're characterizing the the conversation is or, or the the facts is you know well in the place where he had a majority stake where you know they that company went under you know oh, after okay. his tenure but that's 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 that company i mean for instance i haven't heard anybody in the obama campaign uh talk anything about staples there wouldn't be a staples if there wasn't a bain capital that invested in them 
mm. straight up, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a very successful company now. You know, here's a guy that comes along and says, look, I want to start a company that sells office supplies. And everybody laughed him out the door before Bain Capital decided to invest in it. And Domino's probably wouldn't be the force that it is today if it weren't for Bain Capital. And so, I mean, yeah, they they had misses. They literally were about... 50%. So you come down on the side of... He he uh, he operated in the interest of the shareholders of his company. He did it to the best of his ability. They had a, a large uh, track record for success, and the the failures that happened under there were likely to happen anyway because the steel industry was taking a hit all over the place. And and uh, in, that, in that particular instance, yeah, I would I would characterize actually, but that I wouldn't characterize that either way because the fact of the matter, the hit or miss of his private life doesn't have anything to do with what he'll do as 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 somebody who's going to govern the country should he be elected. And if you really want to take a look at his record, take a look at his record as a governor. Because what he did in business doesn't translate very well. I mean, it's a different set of principles, it's a different set of rules, especially as a financial investor as opposed to a, a guy that's running a company that makes widgets. Um, you know, it, it doesn't translate very well, you know, other than leadership, other than doing budgeting, you know, hiring and firing and that sort of thing within his own company, which was actually fairly small. Well, you've, um, you've said a valuable thing. You know, uh, I, I like this topic because it really lets you dig in on certain issues and pull out your values in terms of what you think about, you know, capitalism and, and profit relative to people's job security and those those kind of things. But you've said that uh, you got to look at his gubernatorial record as well. So let me I'm going to sign off for our first commercial and then I'm going to come right. back and do a more formal kind of introduction to the, the topic. But, Brett, I really appreciate you calling in and, and starting us off on the right foot. Not, not a problem. I appreciate you taking the call. All right. And uh, and. Tell your daughter that I enjoyed talking with her. All righty, I will. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we'll go to a break and uh, reflect on that. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. What's up, Toad Heads? It's Frank Kramer, Heidi Hamilton. Hey, everybody. From the Heidi and Frank Show. Reminding you that if you have satellite radio, you can check us out every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Extreme Talk Channel 165. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Eastern? Uh, on the East Coast, yeah, on Extreme Talk XM 165. And if you don't have satellite radio, well, you're on the Toad Hop Network, so why not check out the Heidi and Frank Show, the backbone of the whole thing? 10 a.m. to noon every single week. The premium package. But you can listen for free every day, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. Check us out, Heidi and Frank. If you missed Gary Garver live. Now, I saw you on CNN last Friday, I believe it was, and you're running for governor. Now, what, 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 what happened? Why? <laughs> why would you want to do that? You know, you know what? I'll tell you why. There's this, there's this guy uh, who is a Virginia AG, and he's been, like, on my ass, like, 24-7, and he's basically using me to get his name out in the press. And just wasting literally millions of dollars of taxpayers' dollars. Just some friends of mine got behind me and said, you know what, you should do it, we'll support you. And I decided to run for governor just to put an end to these ridiculous politicians constantly wasting money and doing these witch hunts. Gary Garver Live, Friday afternoons at 3 Pacific, only on the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching. The air attack warning sounds like this is the sound.
You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. All right. Hello, everyone. 
thank you so much, Brett, for calling in. That was a great call. We could have gone on for uh, for the whole two hours, I bet. Um, but we want to mix it up. I have a lot of different things I want to play. Um, I think I think to set the stage for this conversation, which is Governor Romney and the fact that he was uh, uh, co-founder and the head of Bain Capital, uh, let's hear how uh, the Obama campaign uh, wants to uh, use it to trash him. Uh, and, and then maybe we'll, we'll talk about uh, – somebody should call in, 888-520-4374, and we can talk about um, the bias that's in there. We can talk about the tone of it. We can talk about um, – yeah, what, what – uh, you, can, you can listen um, – I think, I think the word vampire – comes in here somewhere in kind of an intense way. All right, so let's listen to this Obama campaign commercial. I was a steel worker for 30 years. We had a reputation for quality products. It was something that was American-made, and we weren't rich, but I was able to put my daughter through college. Having a good paying job that you can support and raise a family on is hugely important. That stopped with the sale of the plant to Bain Capital. I know how business works. I know why jobs come and why they go. Bain Capital was the majority owner. They were responsible. Mitt Romney was deeply involved in the influence that he exercised over these companies. They made as much money off it as they could, and they closed it down. They filed for bankruptcy without any concern for the families or the communities. It was like a vampire. It came in and sucked the life out of us. It was like watching an old friend bleed to death. As I look around at the millions of Americans without work, it breaks my heart. Bain Capital sought elimination of the pension plan and termination of employee and retiree life insurance and health insurance. I was devastated. It makes me angry. Those guys were all rich. They all have more money than they'll ever spend, yet they didn't have the money to take care of the very people that made the money for them. Bain Capital walked away with a lot of money that they made off of this plant. We view Mitt Romney as a job destroyer. To get up on national TV and brag about making jobs when he has destroyed thousands of people's careers, lifetimes, just destroying people. He's running for president, and if he's going to run the country the way he ran our business, I wouldn't want him there. He would be so out of touch with the average person in this country. How could you care? How could you care for the average working person if you feel that way? I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. Okay, so there you go. Um, I'm not sure what you know, all three of you who are listening thought about that, but it is when you listen to stories of people who have dedicated their lives, have, have you know shown up on time, worked really hard, usually in, in the steel um, industry. I mean, I, we made Rudy in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, I got to work, you know, work. I got to do acting work, acting like I was in a steel mill. And uh, it was hot and it was dangerous. It was loud. And the guys working there uh, and the few girls who were working there um, had my respect because they, you know, they were they were doing a job that they were trained to do. And that was, uh, you know, that we needed people to be doing, and uh, it didn't look like a lot of fun. I think some of them thought it was more th thought it was fun. They had found the fun in it, but it didn't look like a lot of fun to me. Um, the camaraderie looked fun. Uh, 
But anyhow, here you have a, a group of people, these 700 or plus more steel workers who uh, lost their jobs. Um, and this commercial is focusing on uh, a couple of things, it seems like to me. It seems like they're focusing on the accusation that, uh, you know, clearly, obviously, they're focusing on the personal greed of the executive management of that company uh, was prioritized over the stability of the jobs of the people working at the company. So you got to wonder um, if that, um, you know, when they talk about bleeding it dry, they're talking about something that I don't really understand very well, frankly, and that's the idea of leveraging. Um, let me read a read a sentence. Um, it says that, uh, well, let's back up a little bit here. This is from the Washington Post, and it's a fact check uh, thing, uh, article that came out in response to the advertisement. And it says, unlike some of the tales of job killing and factory closings that were thrown at Romney during the GOP primaries, this is a relatively straightforward story. The initial development in the steel company, sorry, the initial investment you know, in the steel company was made in 1993 by Bain under Romney's leadership, and uh, the company took on hundreds of millions of dollars in debt while paying Bain investors millions of dollars in dividends. If anybody understands that, I'd love it if you'd call me. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure I should, uh, I should know what that means. Um, you know, is that bank debt? I don't know what that means. Somebody's going to have to explain it to me. Uh, but what I, you know, one thing I know is, one thing that I feel is that when people make a direct correlation between, uh, you know, what they're making and what you're making, and it's a very emotional, it's a very emotional thing, the the concept of, of, of capitalism has to come into, come into question. You know, as an actor, I can make a lot of money. Um, you know, and a school teacher who's arguably doing a uh, you know, a more valuable service to society. Um, you know, uh, my, my service is, is good to society. But, you know, you look at a, you know, I can make hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and a school to in a very short period of time. And a school teacher he makes, you know, I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000 uh, for, a, for a year. It just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem fair. And so voters will say, you know, well, I'm not going to pay that politician X amount of money to, uh, do that job, you know. How, how dare Congress give itself a raise when the average uh, salary of a of a of a person is uh, of, a, of a normal working person is so much less? And uh, you know, I've gone back and forth on this. The egalitarian part of me says, like, yeah, there there should be more equity in that. It should be fair. But the other part of me that understands how competition works is you want to you want to hire the best people to do a job. Everybody says, well, you know, government doesn't work right. Well, we as the managers of our government, we the people aren't operating it properly. And either we're not selecting the right people or uh, we create an environment in which getting the right people there is almost impossible. Uh, because who would want to subject their families to it? Who would want to subject themselves to the kind of scrutiny that uh, you know politicians will? And so you get this kind of tipping point moment where you say, well, if we pay them $150,000, maybe they're willing to run the risk that some personal indiscretion is going to come out and they'll get skunked by us you know, talking about that. Um, you know, obviously, an office of public trust, that whole concept of the public's trust and faith in you to, to manage the books properly and to do right by them is 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 the most important thing. But, uh, you know, you want to pay the, 
you want to compete. Even the Army knows when they're recruiting to go and get the best possible, um, you know, people to, to fill out the to, – to, to, to do the jobs that we ask them to do, which are, you know, a lot uh, – you need, you need more of an education now to be in the United States Army. You, uh, you know, it's, it's highly skilled um, – requirements to, to do the jobs that the that the army puts in front of you. And so they the army goes out there and they and they compete with the public se- with the private sector. They say okay you you you're, you're going to get a, a good education, we're going to give you a good education. You're going to get healthcare benefits, we're going to give you, you know, and they and they they compete. They don't compete very well. I mean, I love the United States Army and I know a lot of people who are in senior leadership in the army and everyone agrees that the amount of money paid to soldiers is just awful. But the point is the same. The point is, you know, they're out there. The, the recruiters are out there competing to get that young talent. And so, uh, you know, you, when you look at Romney and Bain Capital, you, you want to bring somebody in. You, when I say you, I mean as a shareholder. You know, I want to buy. What am I going to buy? You know, shares of stock in. If I'm going to buy shares of stock in, in a company, I want to know that company's got the best chance possible in order to return of of success, so that I can, you know, so my stock will go up and 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 I'll, I will have made, I will have had my money make money for me. So if you want that, you want to pay top dollar for somebody really good at it. Um, the question it seems to me is about in this scenario. Is whether or not these workers, who were f- so um, disillusioned by having their company taken over by uh, you know by an investment firm, and then a lot of the accusations that I was reading is that it was terribly mismanaged. Governor Romney says that he wasn't involved in the management, at least in one of these um, quotes that I read. Um, even though he does, he does take responsibility for uh, for for a lot of what happened during his tenure uh, there, or you know he takes responsibility for what he feels he should take responsibility for. I don't know. I don't know. What I what I know is that there may be there may be a lot of truth in what the workers are saying, and there may there they may be missing the mark. They may the, the, apparently the steel industry was undergoing huge upheaval, and the and the and the the. Um, you know, jobs are being lost across the across the board in the steel industry, not just with this one company. Um, so, what can you learn? What can you learn from a guy who runs an investment company that comes in, gets a majority share, you know, engages in management of the company that you know oversees its decline, but pays itself incentives? How do you you know what do, what do we what do we learn from that? Um, it's a question of regulation. Should, in a free market, the behavior of those executives at those investments firms be uh, prescribed in a manner that protects the workers more than they're protected now? Um, you know, get right down to the core of what capitalism is. So on that note, what I'm going to do is play... Um, is play well. I, in fairness, I should play the Romney um, response to the Obama ad. Obama, the Obama had, ad had uh, labor workers really upset at what they characterized as the disingenuous um, behavior of of the of, of Governor Romney and his campaign to take credit for something that was actually awful. Uh, here's what the Romney campaign countered with. Uh, let's have uh, let's have a listen. 
Steel Dynamics started with an empty field and a big dream. The beginning of Steel Dynamics is a perfect entrepreneurial story. This area was, you know, it was just farmland when SDI first came here. It's just incredible from when I started, we had close to 1,400 employees, now we're over 6,000. I think there's a lot of pride in what we've built out here. But SDI almost never got started. When others shied away, Mitt Romney's private sector leadership team stepped in. Building a dream with over 6,000 employees today. If it wasn't for a company like Steel Dynamic, this county wouldn't have a lot. American workers in a small town, proving that anything is possible in America. One of the hardest things to do is move up a socioeconomic status in, in, in a generation. I said, because of this company, I'm able to do that with my family. Uh, if that's not the American dream, I don't know what it is. I'm Mitt Romney, and I approve this message. Steel Dynamics started... All right, there you go. <sighs> a commercial, political commercial that uh, really relies on the experience and the wisdom of, of workers. Workers who are enjoying the, the benefits of a, of a healthy uh, industry and I guess good management. And, you know, those folks seem like they're assuming they are who they say they are. They seem like they were doing great. Now my, you know, I have a bent for fairness and I sort of started thinking, you know, well, the, what about the workers who lost their job in Kansas City? Are they, are they less... Are they just casualties of a of the of the marketplace? Um, the you know what is the government's responsibility to those people? Does the government have a responsibility to those people? Does the government you know who who looks after those people? They're working hard. They uh, feeding their families, paying for school, hopefully paying for medical insurance. What happens when they can't do that? Should they should they move? They have to wait for another another wave of industry to come through? Do they have to retrain themselves? What happens to those people? You know, I, I think that there should be a floor below which we don't let good, hardworking, dues-paying Americans, citizens, drop. Uh, it's a floor that would be very, very expensive to pay for. And will require shared sacrifice, and will require um, real adjustment in priorities in our national spending. But my heart goes out to the workers who lost their jobs and feel they were done a disservice by the management. Um, I don't understand. I don't know the issue too well. I don't know the people themselves. But that's what's at stake here. That's the that's the conceptual framework we're working in. So let me go ahead and um, let me go ahead and and play. Let's see. Um, capitalism and socialism. Noam Chomsky is an absolute firebrand. He is someone who, uh, let me just read from his Wikipedia uh, 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 Wikipedia page. Born Dece December seventh, nineteen twenty eight. He's eighty, almost eighty four. An American linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, historian, and activist. Uh, he's an institute professor and professor emeritus in the Department of Linguistics and Philosophy at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where he's worked for over 50 years. He's been described as the father of modern linguistics and a major figure uh, of analytic philosophy. Whew! Lost me about halfway through that. Uh, so, well, let me scroll down through linguistics, through grammar. His, his Wikipedia, page, Wikipedia page is 
incredibly long. Let's get to politics, my area of fun. Uh, Chomsky has stated that his personal visions are fairly traditional anarchist ones. Fairly traditional anarchist. What does the word traditional anarchist mean? A traditional anarchist. Ah, uh, hearkening back to the age of... Uh, the storied anarchists who, um, in the word, uh, with the origins in the Enlightenment and classical liberalism, uh, when conservatives say, you know, oh, you're part of the hate America first crowd, this is the guy they have in mind. This is the godfather of that concept that, uh, that some people will, uh, you know, don't recognize the greatness and the sacrifice of Americans, and all they want to do is point out all the things that we do wrong and exaggerate the things we do wrong and make up a bunch of stuff that we do wrong. Well, I've read a number of Noam Chomsky's books. I find him incredibly interesting. I always feel smarter after I've listened to him. I don't agree with some of what he says. I think some of the tactics that he advocates are um, not helpful. Um, you know, they're not, they would be ineffective. Uh, they may even be destructive. Um, but I also think some of the subversion that he advocates can be really healthy. Uh, you know, it's funny that the people who say hate America first are, are usually the ones who quote the, uh, the Tree of Liberty should be, uh, what is it, cleansed with the blood of uh, patriots or however that phrase goes. Um, let me read you a little bit more about his... Um, uh, Ch Chomsky tries to avoid the ambiguity of labels. His political views are often characterized in news accounts as leftist or left-wing. He's described himself as an anarcho-syndicalist. Anyhow, the guy has written thousands of books, it seems, or at least published thousands of, of articles and pamphlets, and he is uh, constantly pointing out the things about American history or the behavior of the American government that nobody else wants to pay attention to. Uh, he probably overemphasizes it, but he, uh, and a lot of things uh, uh, that he says just sound downright uh, anti-American. Um, but I think he would hold that uh, that true patriotism questions all the time. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to get him on the phone for 15 minutes last night, late last night, 10 o'clock his time. You'll hear the, the tiredness. In his eye. How much time? Do, do I, it's a 15-minute piece. Do I have 15 minutes? Yeah, five minutes, six minutes till break. break. Alright, so I'll talk about it a little bit more and then we'll play it coming out of the break. Um, I'm really hoping that someone who understands more about Bain Capital and about how that investment firm works and about the details of the um, the purchase and the management of, of that company and the other one, the SG company uh, that uh, – what's it called? Uh, GS Technologies. Somebody needs – here's the thing. In a public discussion, the first thing you need to do and is is figure out what you're talking about. And I spent I spent the week reading about it and thinking about it and talking about it. <laughs> I still don't know. Um, so, someone who knows ought to call here eight 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 five two zero four three seven four and uh, and and illuminate for me the the uh, what happened or bring me a perspective. Talk to me about why um, this administration, President. Obama's administration has helped improve the conditions uh, that workers um, live under uh, so that they're a little bit more protected and the ways in which they'll continue to be or will be protected even more, or the ways in which um, Romney's um, application of capitalism, you know, 
as Brett said, also as governor and, and as uh, the guy who went in to run the Olympics and, and as this uh, captain of, of uh, I don't know if he's a captain of industry or he's, a, he's a, an investment captain of some kind, a money captain. You got those? Uh, you got a money, you have money captains? <laughs> well, this guy, you know, the, the, um, the other company, this GS Technologies, apparently did really well. But um, Bain, if I'm saying this correctly, was was uh, a minority shareholder. So, but if you're a shareholder, but if you uh, own stock in Bain, was it a public company? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, okay, let's go to a break. We're going to come back, and I'll do the Chomsky stuff, and then hopefully we'll uh, we'll get into some calls up here. Okay, you good? All right. I have other things I want to play too, but. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hey, it's Heidi and Frank for scorebig.com. There's been two ways to get tickets up until now. You can go to the venue or team site and buy your tickets directly, or you could go to the big ticket sellers, the scalpers, if the tickets for the really big events are sold out. And you can pay way, way over face value. Who wants to do that? Who would do Nobody. that? Nobody! That's stupid. Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. Thanks to scorebig.com, a great website where you always pay less than retail, and you never, ever, ever pay any ticketing fees at scorebig.com, and you can save up to 60% on tickets. Every ticket on the Scorebig website is below retail price. Guaranteed. Great events. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, USC, UCLA, Basketball, Disney Hall, Kevin Theater. Mention specific teams in a list. Well, you did. <laughs> and, uh... I think that's uh, perfect the way you did Those that. were teams in Southern California, but scorebig.com is everywhere. everywhere. I just had a, I got a global. Tweet, I got a tweet from a guy saying he's got his Giants tickets and he saved 30%. Awesome. Thanks, scorebig.com. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, not just nosebleed seats, everything from the floor to the rafters. And again, no service or shipping fees ever. Your offer at scorebig.com is what you pay. Always less than retail, never any fees, scorebig.com. Then type in Heidi and Frank to get uh, the, the passcode. Skip the line. Yeah. Start shopping right away. V get I your tickets today. VIP treatment. Don't here. wait. <laughs> type in Heidi and Frank. Do it right now. What are you still sitting here for? S-C-O-R-E-B-I-G.com. Proof why I was never a cheerleader. I can't spell. There's more proof than that.
Live. Live from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Songs called Vox Populi. Uh, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Here on the ToadHopNetwork.com. Uh, the phone number, 888-520-4374. I'm about to play an interview with Noam Chomsky that I, that I did last night. I called him at his home in Massachusetts last night. And we, uh, and you know, I don't think that he says anything so radical in this, uh, in this interview, but he's a guy who said some pretty radical things. Uh, he recently, uh, not recently, but he in the not-too-distant past, came out in solidarity with the Occupy movement. And he's just put out a book called Occupy, uh, and it, it has a bunch of things in it. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating was it's a list of rules for people who are protesting, Th you know, laws that exist that they may not know about, things like you can have a sign uh, that you hold up, but make sure that it's made out of cardboard. Don't make it out of PVC pipe, obviously, because the <laughs> authorities aren't going to want to see you with a weapon walking around. Um, he talks a little bit about like what you can say and what you can't say, what your rights are under the law and what and whatnot. I mean, it's just very practical stuff that I think if people were to read it would make them more effective as uh, protesters and uh, you know cause less harm, physical harm to themselves and be less of a threat to um, to the police and and you know might find some way to use the system against itself to help itself improve. So here is, you know, I was nervous calling him. I've, I've, I've been a, an admirer of his, uh, of his thinking as a breath of fresh air because everybody seems to want to avoid the topics of things that our country has done uh, that have been bad, you know, things that we've done overseas, things that we've done, you know, domestically, just, just problems we have. He just keeps uh, throughout his life and work reminding people like, oh, wait, the, you know, our government did this, our government did that, our government did the other thing. So if that's the only voice you're listening to, it, it is, it's too much because, you know, we, we're a great country and we uh, are a, a people of, um, of decency, uh, I believe, and I want to believe, um, in spite of or maybe even because of a lot of the stuff that he points out. But anyway, so I was a little nervous. It was late at night his time. Uh, I get 15 minutes, and I probably could have talked to him for a lot longer, but I wanted to be respectful of his time because I'm hoping that he'll come back. And while this was sort of a softball, you know, beginning of a conversation with him, a beginning of this show that we're doing, it, uh, you know, I look forward at some point to getting him on the phone and really, really having him, uh, you know, whack away at the stuff that he, uh, that's, you know, closest to his heart. So, okay, here we are. Uh, Sean Astin interviews Noam Chomsky. So I want to. Uh, I just want to get your permission to start recording our. our oh talk. sure, sure. I thought you meant a, a voice. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. okay so sure. um, you won't remember this, but I when I first started um, thinking about uh, a show, I, I had in my in my heart, calling it civic duty, and I mean this was probably four or five years ago, and I I was wondering who I might be able to 
talked to on my the show in my mind, and you were the first person I thought of, and that's when I reached, I, I emailed you, and you, you put me over to Bev, and she and I have had a dialogue going for <laughs> for years since then, and now finally I can, I can, uh, I have a platform to be able to, um, to be able to share your, your thoughts on or through, so thank you. Well, glad things have been working out. <laughs> well, you, uh, you write a lot about how things take a lot of time, so I'm, I'm, Proof. <laughs> that, that, yeah, uh, well, <laughs> one of the advantages of pressing eighty-four is you can see how long things take. Yeah, yeah. My father is uh, is eighty-one, and we were talking uh, about that phrase. He teaches uh, drama at Johns Hopkins. Is John Aston's mm-hmm. name? He was the he was a TV star back in the sixties and uh, a lot of other things. But anyhow, so um, all right. So why don't I? So I I thanked you both on behalf of myself and the. The readers and this new little show that we're doing, because the so so thank you for letting me uh, take up time. I know it's late where you are. Um, sure. The the topic for this week's show is focused on the the drama surrounding the campaigns, both the presidential campaigns, uh, using the time of Governor Romney's. Uh, Leadership at Bain Capital. Well, you know the Obama campaign using it as a a vintage demonstration of how you know capitalism run amok can can hurt and why you wouldn't want that ideology in charge of the country. And uh, just the opposite, the Romney campaign using his time there as a as proof positive that uh, with the right kind of uh, executive management, you can largely succeed even when there are some failures. So we what I'm doing is 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 having a little bit of just kind of facts about what happened during that point and then trying to get at you know how how can we extrapolate like what's fair what's fair to extrapolate how do we what is that process of thought like because the the concept of my show is civil discourse but not in the interest of not getting anything done people have to advocate for their their point of view they have to they have to choose but i'm just wondering and you're you know from your unbelievable perspective you know how What's a fair way to start thinking about making judgments based on looking at that example? Well, the first thing to do, as always, is to look at the factual record, which is not a secret in this case and can be investigated. The uh, second thing to do is to look at, his, uh, at Romney's actual uh, positions and proposals and uh, consider what they're likely consequences would be. And from that inquiry, I think we can draw some uh, fairly reasonable uh, conclusions. And we have to remember that a Romney electoral victory really means something much broader. It would only happen if it coincides with a a substantial uh, uh, increase of uh, the power of his constituents uh, throughout the con- uh, the, uh, uh, the Congress, uh, later the courts when he makes appointments, uh, administrative positions, and so on. So it's really the positions of the Republican Party that we'd be looking at. He himself, as by now is well known, has uh, uh, almost no fixed positions. So he'll adapt to uh, whatever those. Uh, the conditions and circumstances are. Yeah, I. What I have, <clears throat> by the way, your new book occupies fascinating as all your all your books are. Um, I've watched closely the Occupy movement, and you know when a lot of 
friends and colleagues and associates of mine have, have dismissed it. I, I keep saying, no, you, you can't, this is, this is the start of something. It's not, it's not fast. It's, it's slow. And you you talk a lot about that, you know, the need for mass uh, public support of, you know, the positions that are ultimately adopted by it or that sort of gain the most amount of strength. But, um, but that, you know, while, while people are laboring to figure themselves out, there's this crush of media and this unrelenting march of time through the primaries and now towards the general election. And, you know, you just described a very, a very reasoned, reasonable process of, you know, looking up his record and evaluating it and, you know, and, and having a kind of considered opinion. But that the environment that I am operating in and that most of the people that I talk to are operating in is one where the, the, the loudest sounds, the most vituperative language, the, you know, it just, uh, gets, uh, you know, sways people. And I guess I'm just wondering, you know, how do you think someone, you know, builds their thinking in that maelstrom? Yeah. Well, it, it shouldn't be any secret that, uh, increasingly over the years, uh, U.S. presidential elections have become uh, public relations extravaganzas. They're effectively run by the PR industry. Uh, substantive issues are marginalized and suppressed uh, for one reason, because uh, public opinion is often strongly opposed to the uh, stance of the uh, political elites and therefore shouldn't every effort is made to keep the public opinion confused or marginalized. Uh, and uh, furthermore, that's pretty well understood. Uh, so, for example, as perhaps you know, after uh, President Obama's 2008 victory, uh, a couple of months after the victory came the annual uh, uh, meetings of the uh, American Association of Advertisers, major the PR industry, basically, and uh, they each year give a, an award for the best marketing campaign of the year. And that year they gave the award to President Obama. Uh, he beat out Apple computers. Well, um, uh, and if you read the business press, there was great excitement about uh, the success of his campaign. It gave a new model for uh, posturing in public uh, for behavior in corporate boardrooms and so on. Well, marketing is a form of delusion. It's not a form of information. Uh, if you've ever looked at a television ad, you know perfectly well that it's not providing uh, information uh, to people to help develop a, a, a society of informed <laughs> consumers who make rational decisions. I, I don't have to elaborate on that. And that's kind of important because when you take an economics course or a civics course or something, you learn that uh, a market is supposed to be based on informed consumers making rational choices. But the you know, billions of dollars of, uh, that are spent every year, probably hundreds of billions in uh, uh, advertising, are not designed to achieve that end. They're designed to to create uninformed consumers who will make irrational choices. Oh, yeah. So fundamentally, it's a major effort to undermine markets. Well, when these uh, same uh, institutions 
uh, are uh, hired to run political campaigns as they are, uh, they do the same thing. They, their goal is to uh, undermine democracy by trying to create uh, a society of uh, uninformed voters who will make irrational decisions. I can just hear them in Madison Avenue. How dare you? How dare you? You know, we're we're talking about the best aspects of American life, and we're 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 holding up those uh, those examples that really, you know, show us what we you know be all you can be. Here. <laughs> yeah, well, if you if you watch, I mean, the primaries were an obvious illustration, a dramatic. I mean, almost a self a caricature of this development, but it's increasingly the case. Now, there's very little in the way of substantive discourse of policies. Uh, uh, it's quite you say that the uh, the public that you uh, interact with is kind of left in the dark. Yeah, that's the point. Now, they're also left in the dark about uh, uh, what kind of car to buy, you know, or, or anything else that's. Uh, uh, presented to them by the PR agencies. Their goal is not to develop uh, informed an informed a democratic community which will make rational decisions. Uh, if it, it's rather quite the opposite. So it's natural that people are confused. However, it's not this isn't quantum physics. I mean it's not that hard to find out what's actually going on. You want to know Romney's uh, record? Uh, say it's not. It's not just his record. It's the. It's the leap, the leap that people make. He, you know, the the color and sound of this commercial lines up with what I, you know, with a tone that feels right to me. And I know that he was a captain of industry, and therefore, defending that, of course, some jobs are going to be lost, and therefore, you know, they they did have. It, there's just a a lack of. Um, the, the 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 name of our show is. It's called Vox Populi the voice of the occasionally interested people. That's the title of our show. And the idea is that you've got smart, hardworking people out there. Maybe, you know, somebody's got an undergrad education. Maybe they don't. And they, they are, you know, bombarded with, with lots of, you know, competing narratives and caricatures. Where, and, but then they decide, you know, with a show like this, where I, I assure them that, you know, know that every viewpoint will have uh, will be protected and, and that people have their time to call in and listen to carefully. And so I have people who are leaning forward just a little bit to start and they have an instinct about something, but they're not they, they, they're not going to go. And I mean, we'll, we publish on we tweet out uh, and I retweet articles that were clipped. Uh, you know, from different different followers who are great. They really they're really thoughtful. Somebody from the Journal of This and something from the the Washington Post, that whatever it is, or or YouTube clips. And some of them look at it. But the basic there's a moment that happens with the people when they get on the phone where this is their first time. You know, you talk a lot about in your books about you know if you really want to uh, lead the people, the thing to do is to go to where they are, and 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 to and to listen to them. And so one of the places that people are now, they spend considerable amount of time in front of their computers and, and tweeting on their mobile devices. And so I'm sort of going to them in that sense and, and noticing that they need – I would love just for – like how do they start to um, – think about the extrapolations that are made. Obviously, you know, you make it sound like it's a linear thing. Like you, you can read this, you can read that, and ergo there's a conclusion. But I, I think it's not as simple for a lot of people. Well, then your task as a serious uh, a journalist and commentator is to, is to convince people to make it the focus. 
I mean, as I say again, it's not quantum physics. Uh, what's happening in the social and political world is um, quite accessible to a person who's willing to put a little time and thought into it. In fact, let me, let me, yeah, one of the things I do out of curiosity while I'm driving is listening is listen to uh, uh, radio programs uh, in the sports networks, mm-hmm. and it's it's quite interesting. I mean, people are the people who call in and discuss. Uh, first of all, know an enormous amount. I mean, they have you know detailed, complex discussions about you know the, the strategy that was used in the last uh, basketball game and so on. Uh, but the other, but the second aspect of it that's striking is that they're very independent. They don't defer to the coach's decision. They speak out openly and frankly and knowledgeably about the what they think the mistakes that were made and what ought to have been done and so on and so forth. In fact, the amount of intelligence that's devoted to uh, analyzing, critiquing, uh, you know, proposing uh, uh, ideas and uh, policies and, say, how to play a professional sports game, if that intel- intelligence and commitment were devoted to, uh, say, the political arena, we'd have a much... Hello. Yeah. Oh, I lost you for a second. I think oh, okay. I, th- I think I got your point, though. I think uh, yeah. you know it's socially acceptable to uh, to you know the worst thing that can happen you know ostensibly if you uh, if you really espouse a particularly partisan viewpoint about the Lakers versus the Celtics, you know people in green will boo you. <laughs> you know, but but well, but here is- even the little even the the slightest leaning forward, people are scared. You know, people they 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 exist with it, with this. You know, when I tell them I'm doing a political show, people almost look like I've swat them on the head. You know, and they and they and they they say, "Well, I'm not really that interested in politics." And you say, "Okay, okay." And you ask them a question about something, and they'll go on for two hours. They're terribly interested in politics. They just need an invitation into the the conversation. I, I think you've ennobled the effort, though. I mean, I think what you're basically saying is it's okay for people to be as smart about this as they are about other stuff. Okay, that people certainly have the capacity. And if they have an opportunity, a forum, or encouraged, they can use it. And you can find out the answers to the kinds of questions you raised at the beginning about the nature of the candidates, their policies, the likely consequences of those policies, and so on. Uh, it's not uh, its not beyond the capacity of a community of uh, you know, reasonable people, ordinary people with ordinary educations to uh, deal with this. I'm going to quote you on that one. Listen, um, Dr. Chomsky, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me on my little radio show. It's it's the, in its nascency. It's a third episode. We've gotten some interesting guests, but your your participation will just make it, it so much um, more enticing for other other smart, thoughtful people to to come into my the form that I've I've sort of tried to structure for people. So thank you very much for that. Glad for the opportunity to talk to you. All right and. All right. Well, there it was. My interview with Noam Chomsky. <laughs> I think I'm starstruck, um, as I will be with Michael Medved next week, uh, conservative radio host and, uh, and and pundit and analyst and, and personality and all-around uh, fascinating uh, character. So uh, so there we go. So Vox Populi has, uh, shows both sides. But, but Noam Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, that was, uh, that was an interview. He, uh, he seemed eminently reasonable there. 
Um, you know, he says certain things that, that uh, you know, I just, I just, just oh, over, I don't want to say oversimplify because he's an incredibly complex person, but he just makes it seem like, listen, you just look at this stuff, you read it, you evaluate it, you anticipate the likely consequences, which is, you know, not so hard to do, and you, uh, and, and that's it. Then, then you're living in... <laughs> In a, in a world where people are engaged in doing the right thing. And, and I just know that it's, from, from my own personal experience and from a lot of people I know, uh, you know, whether you're OCD or ADD or uh, MIA or whatever you are, that, you know, it's hard. There's a lot of information coming at you. And when you, uh, I'm always struck by the follow, my followers on Twitter or the people who write into the show that some people just have a command of the data. They're very comfortable with it. It's very easy. They manipulate it. And they move it around. Not manipulate it in a bad sense, but they can find the folder, the file. They can send you the link, you know. And uh, you know, when it gets down to some of the more, you know, uh, complex details of an issue like the Bain Capital thing, uh, it's hard to keep that stuff straight for me. And I love this stuff. So thank you again to uh, Professor Chomsky, to Gnome, uh, and to Bev, who works with him, for making it possible that he, uh, that he did an interview with me for our, just our third show. Um, tell me how we do it on time. Uh, ten minutes. Ten minutes? Well, can we take a break now because I have a kind of surprise thing for the for the I call them readers to him. I was nervous. I, I kept saying the wrong thing. Uh, I've, I want to thank you on behalf of the readers. There's nobody reading the show. They're, they're maybe listening and possibly watching, but they're not reading. Anyhow, I have a little surprise for people that I'm, that I'm looking forward to, but I, I need a minute to set it up. Just yeah. So uh, wait, let's play. Wait, I've got a song that was good coming out of that uh, coming out of that interview. Hold on, uh, if I can figure it out here. Uh, here you go. Come gather round, people, wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing Some writers and critics who prophesize with your pen Keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside region Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing
her mothers and fathers throughout the land. And don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand. For、oh, the times they are changing. The curse it is cast. The slow one now will later be fast as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last. For、oh, the times they are changing. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hey, Heidi and Frank here from HeidiandFrank.com. Hooters is open late every single night. Late night happy hour starts at 10 p.m. and the kitchen doesn't close until midnight. And keep in mind, it's Hooters swimsuit pageant time. All contests start at 10 p.m. With all beers, it's two dollars and four dollars. And May 12th is the West Coast Regional Swimsuit Pageant at Icon LA Ultra Lounge, and we're gonna be there. We're gonna be judging.、Mm-hmm. It was so hard last year. What? Judging. Oh, right, right, right. So check out WestCoastHooters.com for contest dates and details. If you missed Punch Drunk, somebody get me a hot fourteen-year-old Indian girl. I want to go in the woods for a few months.、That's、oh, by the way, Pocahontas wasn't hot. She was like incredibly、Trust、unfuckable me, back then. If you equate back then, she was a fucking uh, uh, Louisiana Purchase four, which was like a, which was like a Boston two. Yeah, yeah,、okay? yeah. To put it in, to put it in terms, I could put like, oh yeah. She's a Flagstaff nine, but she's only a Hollywood six. Pocahontas was a, was clearly a Louisiana Purchase eight, but yeah, New England she might have only been a four. Punch drunk with Ari, Sam, and Teeb Tuesdays at four Pacific, only on the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching. Now back to Vox Populi. Here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to the excitement on Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people here on the Toad Hop Network. Eight 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 five two zero four three seven eight. That is the number to call if you want to tell me what you think about Noam Chomsky, Mitt Romney, Bain Capital. President Obama, advertising, uh, 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 the alphabet. The alphabet. All right. Here's my surprise. My surprise is that I've invited into the studio one of the show's producers, my little brother, who's much taller than me. In fact, I'm still not happy about.、Uh, Mackenzie. Don't call him Mac. As- you can call him Mac. Mackenzie Mac Aston,、uh, star of stage and screen, as well. 
Many will know him from... Boring. <laughs> That's not boring. I've, I've, I know people don't... Max, uh, one of my favorite roles you ever played was uh, as Will in uh, the title character of Disney's Iron Will about the... It wasn't the Iditarod, was it? It was, a, it was not the Iditarod. But it was... It was dog... You know, it was dog sled related, yes. It was yeah. a, a race of about half the distance of the Iditarod uh, that took place in 1917. A very exciting Oh, it was film. a true story. Oh, yeah, based on a true story. Oh. I mean, everything's really based on a true story. <laughs> really? I think so. The truth of my ideas, that kind of thing? <laughs> Not your ideas, my friend. Oh, see what happened there? Anyhow, Mac, welcome to Vox Popular. You are my first in-studio guest in the history of this show. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very, uh, very glad to be here. I, I am one of those occasionally interested people, and um, I, I find what you're doing here to be interesting uh, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got that out of your playbook. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's good stuff. Chomsky is such a huge get. That's, um, that's pretty that's Well, pretty I started with Congressman Israel. Steve Israel, sure. from uh, sure. who's the head of the DCCC, so a serious political player. Now let's pretend for a moment that I didn't know what the DCCC was. <laughs> well, then that means you didn't do your job as one of the producers of this show and watch the first episode because I said it 19 times. It's the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. DCCC. Yeah, just the three C's. Okay. The three C's. <laughs> Congressman Steve Israel. Steve Israel. And then I also had Frank Luntz, the Republican uh, conservative Fox News uh, pollster, analyst, uh, author extraordinaire. Talking head. Uh, yeah. He actually, after the elections, you, if you watch Fox, he's the guy with the dials, and he's got a group of uh, people in a, in a room, and he's, he's a sort of focus group, and he's asking them questions. So he's, more, he's a talking full body. And how focused is that group? Uh, they seem handpicked to me, but I, I would love yes. to have Frank back on the show and have him uh, yes. disabuse me yes. of my knowledge that it's totally rigged. So those were the first. My th thought that it's totally those were interviews you had on the first couple of and shows. And the first co a couple of shows, and then last week when the the topic of discussion was, uh, uh, you know, North Carolina passed a, was the thirty second state to pass a constitutional amendment um, banning or you know declaring uh, marriage definition is the, that between a, a one man and one woman, and then President Obama made his. Uh, his support in uh, his statement in support of gay marriage and gay couples marrying. Uh, we I had the um, I had two folks on who were um, hold on let me just pull up their exact name is Maggie Gallagher who is president of the Institute for Marriage and Public Policy right and then I have in the in the um, in the queue I actually have Brian Brown who is the president of the National Organization for Marriage so very conservative uh, you know groups I think religious religious groups, groups represented and then today uh, your uh, is it fair to call Noam Chomsky a hero of yours no okay <laughs> but only because um, you know I'm not attached to labels anymore oh I find him to be a very interesting uh, person with very interesting uh, thoughts and ideas and um, no, Did you, were you able to? I know you're working back there, but were you able to hear the actual interview? I was able to hear some of the actual interview. Um, he does have an incredibly deep and uh, rather gravelly voice. But I, I, is that why you're going on radio on me right now? <laughs> I found it. I, I found it uh, intriguing and uh, soothing in some ways. Soothing, sure. Well, it wasn't his fire. It wasn't the Molotov cocktail throwing. Noam Chomsky. It was the everybody has a right to be here. Everybody's got a voice. Noam Chomsky. But was there anything? I, I know that when we talked about. I'm trying to set. I'm trying to. Uh, Provoke you into some of the thoughts you had last night because I, uh, it, well, I, you can comment and I'll say what you said last night. You basically uh, really responded to the idea that he was saying that pe people are marketed to. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Right. 
and and you and this is what you sent me uh, via via iChat when I when we were talking about that. Uh, here you go. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Oh yeah. Now you have to tell me what's on screen during this. A nice refreshing Coca-Cola. It is in a field, a pasture. And there's it starts out two and then four and then it ends up about a hundred, I would say. And all those people are connected by one very important thing. Yeah. The Coca-Cola. Coca Coca and they, they are they are standing almost like a crop like a what do they call those things uh, when the space aliens come down? Uh, a crop crop space circles? landing? No, a crop circle. Crop circle. <laughs> the crop it's a crop circle of people drinking now wait, listen to the words. All right, what the world wants today. Yes. Wait, yes. Is that the beginning again? All right, stop it. Stop it. It sure is. So I did a commercial today with uh, with Pepsi. So the world, what the world wants is unity as long as you're not the competing beverage. You did a Pepsi commercial today? Well, it, uh, yeah, I know, and I'm going to play the Coke thing. Are you well, kidding me? Well, it was a, it was dangerous. A, uh, why? Well, what if Pepsi comes after you? What? I was thinking, what if Coke offers me more? <laughs> Believe me, so, my friend, Coke does not offer more. All right, so this was the so you, we, uh, what what struck me about his comment was that people are marketed to the t techniques, sophisticated techniques to grab your attention and force your your mind into a certain way of thinking. Sure, happen uh, in such a way that people will make illogical decisions. Absolutely. Decisions that are not in their own self-interest. Consistently do just that. Yeah. Because it's good business, Sean. You have to remember that this country was founded on capitalism and capitalism is about business and the bottom line. And if people have to be lied to in order to get them to buy more Coca-Cola Whoa, well, when did lying come into it? When did lying? I said that they were marketed to you, like to take it to lying. Oh, um, is there? There's not much of a difference, I don't think, between marketing and lying. Wow. All right. So, we'll, well, with that, you then sent me this uh, no, offering. It's from. Have to and don't say it. Have to answer the Coca-Cola uh, commercial. This is what you, I think, typed to me. And then um, we'll wait for people to call in eight 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 five two zero four three seven four to identify. What the commer what the what the where it comes from? What the film that this comes oh, from? Is? The pl the source. Sorry, be man. it not stop coke. No, no. Right. Well, I think your coke one's still playing. What my coke one's still playing? Yeah, I think so. Wow. It is. We well, can't is, hear it. This is fantastic advice, no <laughs> stop. matter what. <laughs> stop, just, stop, 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 coke. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So it's playing. The ending of it was really the best one. Uh, what John Stewart would say is, we'll throw that up on the the internet. You'd call it the uh, the cybernet. No, you call the it space. The, the World Wide Webster. You're always good. You have the interwebs here. That's oh, what the you interwebs. Say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is what you sent, and people can guess and call in uh, wh where it comes from, from whence it hails. Still trying to send short. Uh, operator, hold on one. I'll try and keep you a second. Colonel. That Coca-Cola machine, I want you to shoot the lock off it. There may be some change in there. That's private property. <laughs> Colonel, can you possibly imagine what is going to happen to you, your frame, outlook, way of life and everything, when they learn that you have obstructed a telephone call to the President of the United States? Can you imagine? Shoot it off! 
Shoot with a gun. That's what the bullets are for, you twit. Okay. I'm going to get your money for you. But if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? What? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Oh, shit. <laughs> kind of a rough ending there. <laughs> well, it's a it's a rough idea. Now, uh, if you want to keep the genie in the bottle or the toothpaste in the tube um, and refrain from mentioning what film that's from, that's just fine. But I think some context might help explain why it was that I pulled that up and uh, and, and thought it was a good sort of a reply to... Well, the- my show's a little dry, so the fact is you, you, you spruce it up with some comedy. But go ahead, toothpaste... <laughs> Squeezer. <laughs> All right. What you have at that moment in in are, are we? Do you do you you, you can I mean, nobody's calling, right? There's nobody. Uh, I've Basically, got three people on the line, but none of them want to talk about this issue, and I probably don't know. So I want to put a button on what we just played for people. All right. Very quickly, it's from the film Doctor Strange Love, a Stanley Kubrick film that was released in uh, January of uh, 1964, uh, wherein um, <clears throat> a, a crazy base commander in the American uh, Air Force uh, sends his uh, nuclear-armed bombers to attack Russia. And the idea that he has behind it is it's the only way for the American way to continue, to just go ahead and blow up the commies. Um, <clears throat> Peter Sellers' character, who you heard at the... One of the characters he plays, who you heard at the very beginning of that uh, clip right there... Uh, Shoot has, it! That's what the bullets are for! Right. He has he has figured out the, uh, the recall code. He's figured out a way to get the bombers to come back so that the world uh, does not get blown up. Mm-hmm. Like you know, incinerated in a, a nuclear fashion. You're very yeah. hot. I'm with you. Very, Heat. very hot. Very hot, hot like the sun. When you when you're born in Africa, it's dang hot. Unfortunately, he, the phone lines have been cut at the base where he's he's working because, uh, well, for lots of different reasons. But he he finally has figured out the code, and he's just got to get in touch with the president of the United States so he can send the code to the bombers to recall the bombers so that the world does not blow up. I'm with you. The American colonel who yeah. who, ha- who has him at gunpoint at this yeah. point, uh, as portrayed by the delightful Keenan Wynn, um, because he believes he's obstructing. Well, he doesn't. His- he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going. He knows that there's big trouble, but <clears throat> but he's his he's he's so involved in his training and and in in taking orders and in defending the American way of life that he's not going to let this guy. <laughs> he's not going to let this guy blow up a coke machine shoot a coke machine in order to save the world and so i think what kubrick was trying to say there is that we as as a culture have have submitted ourselves so much to the the uh, the, to commercialism to capitalism that um it's possible that that we might just miss the way to save the world because we're worried about taking care of whatever the hot product at the time is and i don't i don't think it's you know, you, you you said the the thing about uh, lying. You know, I'm, I I don't necessarily mean all marketing is lying, but what seems to us have happened over the last you know say fifty years is we've become so inundated with different kinds of media, be it uh, billboards, radio ads, telephone ads, ads coming up on your computer, telev- television commercials. There's that everybody seems to have to try to one up the next guy or the last guy to do to, to do something bigger to do something you know in order to make the sale and i think we've lost our way in some respect we're we're pretty far removed from well uh, you know the the natural and normal ways that we used to live especially uh, on this uh, on this continent 
Tell me if you were able to hear the commercial or hear or see the commercials, the uh, Obama commercial and the the Romney response commercial. Sure, yeah, I saw them both. So Noam Chomsky would hold that both of those were designed by, if not Madison Avenue, surely some incredibly sophisticated, uh, you know, um, media folks, um, and that that would be. So so how did how does how do those two things and how does the, your knowledge of the Kansas City Steel Company that got Shuttered and and uh, how does it, how do you feel those? You've got a very clear take on marketing and and commercialism and everything. How do you think these fit into that? Uh, well, um, I have to respect both of the commercials. They do, they both do a, a compelling job of putting their case. Not forward. lying. They both do a compelling job of putting <laughs> their case forward and appealing. I think to the people for whom they're intended to appeal. There's no doubt that people who watch one of those commercials are going to feel good about the way you know about what the commercial is trying to say. <clears throat> and there's no doubt that people that watch the other commercial, you know, the the other half that watches the other commercial, are going to feel good about what it has to say. I don't necessarily think it's going to change any minds. I think it's certainly going to reinforce the ideals. Who's the of, audience for the Obama commercial, for, for example? If he's not going to change the minds of you know uh, Republicans who are already committed, is it is it to stir the base? Is it to go for those undecided people? Who who's is it trying? Who's the who's the who's the intended audience? You think? I would imagine that they would put forth the idea that the intended audience are the independents or the people who are still not sure if they're going to vote for um, the current president. Uh, you know, the black guy or the white guy. Um, race? You're saying it's going to be a race-based decision? No, I think they're playing to. I think they're they're preaching to their their own choirs. Uh huh. You know what do you think? What do you think? Um, what do you personally think the government's responsibility is to the seven hundred people, if any, uh, who were let go from that uh, who, when that plant was closed? Well, wait a minute. Do you think the government has any responsibility to do anything for the people who were fired? You mean fired? Not fired. Sorry, the the plant shut down. So seven hundred and fifty people or something like that were. Became out of work, you know, were made, yeah, lost their jobs because the plant closed. Do I feel the government owes them anything? Yeah. Well, geez, I don't, I don't know. Huh? Because you- because here's the thing they 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 had a job that paid them a living wage and that allowed them to pay for health care insurance for their families and and you know food shelter clothing and everything else and they lose that job 750 of them in a small town they what are they going to do they got to move. They got if there's not that many more jobs in that town. What what what's to become of them? Well, if you know, it depends on how you look at it. They either have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and go um, go plot out and, and and find a new way to make a living and find a new home and uh, you know keep following that American dream, or uh, they can try to lay back and pick up that uh, unemployment for a couple of years before it runs out. And Is that see, how long unemployment goes? A couple of years? I think it's about that, eighteen months or something. Yeah. And uh, they, they extended it, right? And they extend, and they keep extending yeah, the amount of time. It depends, they, you know, case yeah, case too. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're just getting word from the other side of the glass here that uh, apparently no one is eligible anymore for unemployment rights, and yeah, there's will be mass hysteria in the streets starting tomorrow. What, um, Mac? What? What do you think? Um, do Do you think? What do you think when the workers in that video are talking about the the it's not hypocrisy but about the complete unfairness that a company would come in like Bain Capital would buy controlling interest in the company they would do something that's called uh, putting the company in debt I don't know exactly how do you know what that means when they say they they absorb they they, they really do leverage I, the company do I know what it means 
to be in debt? No, I know what it means. You and I know what it means to be in debt. I, you owe me money. Oh, You're in I, debt, right? You, you, you I'm in debt to the. No, you don't owe me money. Yeah, you owe me a lot of money. Do I? <laughs> nah, I'm not talking about it right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that came out. <laughs> Fantastic. We really have learned something today on yeah, Box Populi. We have. No, very good. Uh, Okay, so my question is, do okay, lost the thread of my lost the thread of my my little point there. Those people who lost their jobs are looking and saying it's not fair that that guy and his company, they, you know, earned tens of millions of dollars, however much it was. Millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. They earned lots of money as the plant was closing. So it was only one of the many interests that Bain Capital had. They had a minority interest in another uh, steel company, uh, according to Brett, who was calling earlier from the East Coast. He, because I don't know, but he, they had an important, uh, a vital role in the creation of Staples. Yes, right. Staples so, very valuable for keeping things together. Okay, so. <laughs> So, so th it's not fair. They would say that workers would say that they come in, they take a thing, they they control how it was managed, and uh, well, again, this goes back to you know it really all depends on how you look at it. The, the, some people will tell you that uh, of, uh, it's perfectly fair. There, those those are capitalists going out there doing their capitalist thing and living the American dream. Does and the do, government have a right to to manage how much they can do, control that? Mm. You know, if there's a crime that's been committed, I don't think anybody's accusing him of committing a crime, right? Well, I mean, you know, at I, least not a legal crime. Some it, people would say it was a moral crime because the, these people could have, you know. You know what? Let me bring in Heidi. She's in I, North Dakota God. and has uh, uh, t uh, talking to friends about bank capital. Okay, so can I? Can I? Uh, let's do that. Uh, Heidi, how are you? Hi. Say hi to my brother Mac. Hi Mac. Hi Heidi. So. Come on, help us out. We're just a couple of dopes trying to figure out this uh, Bain Capital thing and whether I should, wh which way we're supposed to think. Well, actually, that's kind of what I was calling is because when you Twittered, Sean, about doing the show on Bain Capital, I went and visited with my friends and coworkers and, you know, people in meetings, and I asked people, what do you guys think about the Bain Capital issue? And n nobody, <laughs> nobody understood it. If they even, under, you know, nobody understood it. If they'd even Had they seen the commercials? Um, they, they. This whole conversation is predicated on these two commercials that were just taken out. Because nobody, who's going to know Bain Capital? Nobody's going to know Bain. Let her, let her. Let oh, her. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Go ahead. I, I, I interrupted you. No, it's, it's just that this is an issue that it just people just don't understand. And when you are faced with these commercials that are on TV, we as the general public understand that we're being marketed to. Um, and when we try to find out information, it, I mean, Mr. Chomsky made it sound like it was so easy just to go out and find unbiased information, and you can, and it, it isn't. Well, we People, can Google. Yeah, but that's still that's still pretty. I mean, you know, you got to you got to check you the can, sources. You can Google the New York is, Times or the Wall Street Journal. You can Google the Economist or the you know. See, but no matter no matter where you go, you're going to get somebody who's got an agenda. But go ahead, I finish, Heidi. I keep interrupting you. I don't want to interrupt you. Well, that's the whole thing. Is is when we when you look at the news sources. And, and you look at the uh, you look at the shows and the different shows and the different news the sources that we get our news from. There's just in the, in the general public there's a deep distrust because we understand that uh, that you know this might be a more liberal paper, this might be a more um, you know a more conservative paper, and we understand that we're being that we're being marketed to. So there's a huge deep distrust. And you know, and to be frankly honest, as a member of the general public, when you are working and you have families and you have activities and you have all these other things you're you're responsible for doing 
your time to sit in front of the computer and Google things is really limited. Because mm. more than likely, you're probably Googling information for your kids for school or you're looking up, you know, your relatives for the family reunion that's coming up. You have all these responsibilities. Your time for researching is very, very limited. All right, so I've got, I've got you in the crosshairs right now, though, right? I mean, I've, we, you're thinking politics at this moment, right? Yes. All right, so tell me with however much or however little information you have about Bain Capital or about Romney or about Obama, what, what do you think about the fact that both commercials use the words of you know, hardworking Americans to make their point? And one of the points, I, I, and I'm just, you know, kind of paraphrasing, you know, I'm, I'm, this is my characterization of it. it may, other people may disagree. But I think in the Obama ad, the workers are saying that it's not fair, essentially, uh, that these guys get credit for being such great businessmen when they were making tons of money and our plant was shutting down. And the other side is saying that, that the, uh, you know, the, the, Romney side workers that are in the commercials are saying, hey, without the work of their investment company, we wouldn't have been able to start this company. They started a business. They, they, they were able to, you know, work their way into the middle class and build, uh, and build. So it's, it's all about, uh, how in being industrious and how ingenuity and, and how the support of good executive leadership can create that. So how do you, how do you feel about the way those workers are depicted? I think what they're look what they're looking at is is th is their individual point of view. I mean, if you are one of the workers who lost a job, you're not going to be happy no matter who it was that came in and made the changes. And if you're one of the workers who received jobs, then you're going to be thrilled because somebody came in and gave you a new job. Mm. So it it just so. But how can we how can we else that you're looking at how can we look at it from afar? Obviously, we don't know a lot about it, but but can you look at that executive? Can you look at Mitt Romney? And say, okay, we know that he, you know, that he made money for that investment firm. That some of the companies he worked with, the people made job, and some of them lost job. Can you? Do you feel like you have enough general kind of knowledge about that to to make a judgment about his his quality as an executive? As his qualities as an executive, no. But we do not understand though that his his basis is more of a more of a, from the capitalist, more from the business background. And that's that. Just that generalization can help, you know, illuminate people when they're looking, trying to figure out who to vote for. They're like, okay, no, this person is more from the socialist or the the social activist point of view. This person is more from the capitalist point of view. The and just when people look at those advertisements, they tend to focus in on how people. I mean, on the on the nitty gritty details. The general public tends to look at it as a general tone. I mean, and they might like, oh, I feel very bad for that guy, but you know that he lost his job but you know up here we have a lot of jobs that are going begging because people don't want to move to North Dakota to work so we're like okay yeah we don't really feel whole very lot sorry for you guys and other people are like yeah but who wants to move to North Dakota to work so I mean it's but people look at the tone of the commercial yeah. more so than they look at the specifics of of who's on there because of the fact that we understand we're being marketed to that's and right yeah, Max do you have a thought skewed but my yeah, my thought is Heidi has got her ducks in a row. She knows she knows what side her bread is buttered on, and uh, I don't know if there's uh, any sort of public office in uh, anywhere in North Dakota near you. Don't make you. her run for office. She's working now. She has friend coworkers and things. She brings up a f you, Heidi. You bring up an amazingly good point though um, that people have so little time to actually consider this these sorts of things, and and you know they're focused on getting the kids to school and getting to work on time and making making that paper so they can pay that rent. 
And um, it's almost unfortunate that it, the system seems to be set up such that people who make more money have more time to think about this sort of thing, have more time to rig the game to um, to, to support themselves and their lifestyles, and to keep things keep, to keep the status quo the status quo. Um, <clears throat> you know what's what's totally encouraging to me though is to think that there's um, you know that that it's that it's not just people who have maybe a you know an eye that is familiar with the media it's 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 everybody that is able to recognize this stuff now and hopefully you know make the right decisions to help uh, to help you know further the cause of everybody that you know that's my there's my own uh, politics coming into play there well let me let me just ask uh, Heidi one more question before we jump off and I see uh, Walter uh, from Corona has a thought about uh, about Occupy America bill that's up that looks based on Chomsky's interview it might be interesting to talk about um, so so Walter hang in there but Heidi I had asked Mac, and and I think really what what undergirds the whole conversation is undergirds. <laughs> you like undergirds? Yeah. Underpins the foundation. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Keep going. That's all right. What what I think is at the base uh, base uh, is at the bottom of the conversation with these commercials is what's the government's role. Obama wants it to be about what's uh, the Obama administration really wants Americans to think about should the government. Uh, regulate the behavior and the and the uh, income, um, you know the the way the way those packages are structured with the executives when they leave a, a dying company. Are they allowed? Should they be? You know, I don't know what his position is, but it seems like they want you to know that he's thinking about that, and he's thinking about you know what's what's the protections that are in place when people do lose their jobs. Should they be able to keep their health care for a period of time? Should they be able to? You know, what can what can the government do? What's your where, where do you, um, if you're sitting around the the office or sitting around a campfire with your friends and everybody's talking about things, what, what do you find yourself advocating? The, the, what I'm seeing is that people are really suspicious of extremes. So when you see these um, people leaving management positions with the golden parachutes, I mean, no matter what company is, no matter what their political background is, or no matter, no matter what, people are very suspicious of that. Um, I'm calling from North Dakota, which has a very strong socialistic background, a uh, very b- big history in socialism. Mm-hmm. We have the, you know, we have the state-owned bank with the state-owned mill and elevator. Yep. And for for that background, um, people are truly interested in more universal health care, and that's one of my big drums that I like to beat is the universal health care. Right on. Because I see so many people out there who are trying very, very hard to. Um, you know, make it through their day, and they and they just can't because of the amount of medical bills that they they have to pay, and the, you know, that's the whole thing. I could go off into for like forever. No, it, and it's painful. It's painful that the the entire situation there. Keep going though. It, it is it is very difficult. But like I said, people are very very leery of any kind of extreme. So they believe that people should have the right to safe, decent place to live. That they should have affordable health care. And, you know, and they are very suspicious of anybody who is, you know, like I said, the golden parachutes or people who, who come in and say, you know, anything extreme. They're, they're very leery of that. Mm. And so I'm thinking when people are just looking for middle of the road, and that's kind of like where we're at. We understand we're being manipulated. We understand we're being marketed to. We're trying very hard to come to the bottom of what the truth is, but that's, the truth is 
dependent upon your point of view also. Hmm. Heidi, I just want to say thank you so much for contributing to the conversation. I, I it really the the whole I keep saying it over and over again, but the success of this show, if it's is successful, will be based on the quality uh thinking and contributions of people like you calling in. So I, I wish you in North Dakota uh nothing but good things and, and health and prosperity and, and success and, and thank you for taking the time to talk to your friends and, and to call into the show. Well, you're more than welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. Bye, Heidi. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. I'm going to take this call real quick. Uh, Walter, it's Sean. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Good. How are you? Doing good, man. First of all, just let me, uh, I want to congratulate you for your show, and I want to thank you for having a show like this out there on the network. Thanks, man. Because it's really interesting. I'm I'm a 23-year-old the guy, his, uh, Mexican guy, you know, came to this country legally. I've never really been into politics, really, until like... You said legally or illegally? Oh, I came here illegally, but I'm now a uh, resident working on my citizenship. Congratulations. Make, make sure you keep... Uh, yeah, congratulations. Well said, Mac. Uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is we all came here illegally, <laughs> you know, unless unless your skin is red. I was born prematurely. Is that what we're talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Uh, uh, borrowed land. <laughs> well... Walter, I just wanted to uh, say, make sure you stick with the show because I'm sure that uh, the immigration issue will be uh, will be a, a topic of you know intense discussion oh, at some point. I love issue is not a problem. I don't care about that. Really, <laughs> like, there's bigger issues in this country, like the cartel banks, you know, uh, all the corruption that they have here, and all that stuff like that. But the question I had for you, um, Sean, was actually on the National Defense Authorization Act because um, I kind of wanted your take on it. Is this the kill switch? Is this the kill switch? Like, I didn't Obama sign something not too long ago that that if there was some insurrection or something like that, that they could turn off Twitter to uh, to manage the crowds better. Wasn't there something? I don't know. Somebody, if anybody listening hears that, please tweet about it. But tell me about the National Defense uh, Authorization Act. Well, I wanted I wanted your take on it because um, it's scary to me, but for like a lot of people I talk to, they seem like to not care. It goes both ways. Some people really care, and some people really don't care. I wanted your take on it. Basically, you think it's a real threat. You think... Uh, okay, so the Occupied America Senate Bill 1867 would allow U.S. military to detain and murder anti-government protesters in American cities. Something tells me that what? that headline from Natural News may be a bit skewed towards their viewpoint. Um, listen, under the Bush administration, there were unbelievable measures taken. The Patriot, Patriot Act and, and, uh, and lots of other executive, uh, Memorandum, or just however, however the president makes decisions, uh, that that I mean, we still have people who are being held in an island off our country without ever having been charged with anything. So I think that Americans should pay very, very, very close attention anytime the government goes to pass a bill that would uh, curtail their rights. Um, and the, the I didn't read the whole Chomsky book, but the part of it that I read was he listed, he enumerated, you know, the things that protesters can do to to make it uh, peaceful and to make it um, safe and legal. You know, so so those uh, I you know I know he's probably advocated things that are much more extreme than than that in in the past in terms or people have probably interpreted what he's been saying in a much more uh, severe way. But but I you know the government has a right to protect itself. The president of the United States has an obligation to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And if people are trying to do violent revolution in this country, you know. There's a thing, I, my understanding of it was posse comitatus. It said that the military can't work on U.S. soil. So I don't know if this is 
changing that, turning it, I'll, I'll look a little bit more closely into it and, and offer some thoughts, you know, in a, in a future episode. But um, from from a general perspective, I would say I want to give my government all the tools necessary to defend itself and defend me. I also want to give every citizen in the country the right to protect him or herself. And a lot of times that there's there's disagreement about how to do that. So I'll I'll take a peek at that. Go ahead. Did you read it? Okay. I mean, do you? Yeah, because, Sean, what you said right now that you said you give your government, you know, the right to protect you. Thomas Jefferson said, he who sacrifices liberty for security deserves neither, man. Yep, and that's right. The the uh, the bill, what's scary about it is they can detain U.S. citizens without the right to a due process for an indefinite period of time. Yeah, that's just wrong, flat out wrong. But I'll tell you what, if you... um. You know, during when when Los Angeles was under riots and and uh, the governor uh, called in the the uh, the National Guard, you know, as someone I was young and I was your age at that point, uh, almost exactly probably, maybe a tiny bit younger than you, and it was scary. People were burning down buildings, and you know there was there was a lot of violence happening and and looting, and and uh, you just wanted someone to to fix it. You wanted you wanted to look to someone to come in and. And help. And I, what I really want is for every soldier, sailor, airman, marine, coast guard person, cop, firefighter. I want those people to know that their life and their safety and security is very important to me, and I want them protected. It's not any more important than my life or your life, Walter. But uh, and and so you know, reasonable minds can can agree. And what happens is when the when the people in the military, we have a civilian leadership over our armed services. That was a very important distinction. You know, General Washington, President Washington, handed back the reins of power voluntarily. If we could, he could have been like Caesar or something. He could have people wanted him, needed him. He was so revered. He could have set a precedent for uh, you know, kind of limitless uh, pre presidency or unlimited presidency. So we we have this idea that says we want you know we want our um, popularly elected representatives to decide which generals are working in our best interest. So you know we we don't we don't want and when and when people who are in the military uh, historically have gone into the uh, I mean, maybe not with Eisenhower but but just in terms of the personalities that I know in my own personal experience when I meet people in the military very often there's a strong viewpoint that more control more power is is better and uh, and and sometimes that that liberty that that civil liberty component does get um, it does does get I don't, I, you know, trampled on, uh, burnt up, folded into a box, and buried underneath the ground. Sent off to an island just off the coast of Florida, where nobody could talk to it, and got no lawyers. And Walter, say hi to my brother Mac. Oh, sorry. Hey, how's it going? I, very well. How are you, Walter? Doing well, doing well. I, I'm I'm really glad you brought up what you brought up because uh, there, you know, there's a, there's an important distinction that uh, that needs to be made about what is the best for the people. Now, my brother Sean was talking about uh, you know how how the, the government is you know the the army is there to protect the people. They the, the civil servants are there to you know serve the people, but <clears throat> you know how, they don't necessarily know what is the best for us. I feel like I feel like that's what's taking. Well, place. no, this, listen, nobody. No, one of the one of the most traumatic moments in my life. I was at the uh, uh, the what was it called? The um, I was at a national security seminar at the at the Army War College. I was at the Army War College. And I went down into the the basement during a lunch break when our when our group was, you know, having its conference and I and I started pulling out the position papers, 
you know, weapons of mass destruction, North Korea's posture, uh, you know, a, a lot of different interesting... This is, this, is in a, this is after the events of the events of... No, no, this is way before uh, 9-11. Um, well, actually, I can't remember. I frankly I can't remember. Never what it was. forget, dude. I know. Stop. Don't do that. So, but the the some things you just gotta like hold the line up. But but my point is, the colonels were the ones writing these position papers. So when the generals were asking something, they'd reach down and they'd read read a, a position paper written by the colonel. And I had this this moment where you realize like nobody knows. We trust that the government is doing its best, that people in a position of power are, are you know, people of goodwill, you know, that and, you, and you hope that's there and you hope that our the safety and security of our nation, you know, the sovereignty of our nation is protected. You hope all these things. But when but at a certain moment, when you're an adult, you, you're sort of forced to realize that nobody nobody really knows. They, they can try. So when you get a small group of neocons, like with, with uh, you know, Wolfowitz and, and uh, Bremer and, and Bush and Cheney and all those guys, they, they – this is a small group of people who were absolutely committed to a way, a way of thinking and a way of being. Uh, now, that's, it's interesting because it sounds almost like you're describing the people that flow the, 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 the planes into the towers. No, I'm not doing that's, that, that The sentence you just said, there were, there were a small group of people that were know, committed making, to a cause. I know, but connecting those two thoughts is, is not something that I would do. At this moment, well, as a, a radio show. That's a good thing I'm here. <laughs> uh, because you can do it. Uh, if you're saying that people who are committed will do a- extreme things, uh, you know, that's, that, that's probably valid. But to me, what, I was, what started this whole riff was me saying the, we elect, we, what we need is a free and fair electoral system. We need to make sure that if people, the people who actually vote actually get the person that they voted for, that, 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 it's, that there's no cheating in the system. And then you don't know. You do the best you can to vote for the the person that you think is going to do the best that they can, and hopefully that's what your neighbor is doing, your neighbor in another state, and so on and so forth. And then you end up in a system. I mean, I don't know what a better system is, but but I want whoever that is who has been elected by a thoughtful, informed public has all the resources they need. If it's if we're going to hedge against that by saying you know there is such a thing as an abuse of power, then I agree. I, I agree. I agree that we need to protect our civil liberties. Absolutely. So I don't know this particular piece of legislation. I know it's big and it's been, been I just haven't taken the time to look at it. So I, I will. And Walter, do you, do you have any, Walter, do you have a last thought for us as we, as we go? Because uh, uh, I'm going to have to close on the show here in a sec. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like last thoughts to you, uh, Sean. I haven't, I've heard your show. I haven't really gotten a chance to listen to the whole thing. And like hearing you talk right now, just kind of like, kind of like, I just, that's a really big, piece of legislation that Obama signed on New Year's Eve when everybody was celebrating and it's really scary and it's scary the fact that people don't really know about it and I mean yesterday I read an article about over 30,000 drones that are going to be released over uh, America in the next over the next decade 30,000 drones I mean Mm. our privacy our civil liberties who has privacy you ever do you ever do anything on uh, uh, do you ever do anything on your cell phone or on your computer that you think is going to be private I don't. I, so I'm absolutely convinced that the uh, the Big Brother is that 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 Orwellian prediction of 1984 is is uh, is here. I'm just trying to find a way to uh, you know decorate the drapes nice <laughs> because we're, I don't know how we're going to change it anytime soon, other than just keep being conscientious. Listen, you're absolutely right. I think I think there is a kill switch in that law about the, about Twitter and whatnot. So I will I will go back. You're right. People need to pay attention to it. Um, I think that's the smartest thing I've heard you say so far, Sean. It just comes down to people being conscientious because whether it be Republican, Democrats, all that bullshit aside, conscientious, realizing that we're all in this together, we're one conscience, 
whether we're black, white, yellow, whatever it be, we all feel pain, we all feel love, we all feel hate, we've all been betrayed, one conscience, consciousness, that's all we need together. And I know people say that that'll never happen or it's a dreamer thing. It's happening. What do you think the Occupy movement is doing? A lot of people, I've, my, my, uh, I know a lot of people part of the Occupy movement and a lot of them are just peaceful protesters helping each other out, feeding, Walter, you said it, man. You said it. I think you. Uh, we might even make that last riff you just went on like one of the one of the bumpers of the show coming out of commercial because it's exactly your your heart and your passion is exactly what this this show is about. And I honor you and 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 your call and your thoughts. And I hope you become a good friend of this show. I hope you tweet. I hope you you know write in the emails. I hope you do all that. You know you can you can call uh, leave voice messages six two six Vox Talk Sean Aston Vox Populi at Gmail. I'm going to send you some links, man. I'm going to send you some links. Or something and call in, links. man. Call a beer. I hope you're a regular caller on this show, man. I think you can make a real continuing contribution. So I have to say goodbye because I've been getting the wrap-up sign for five minutes, and I've got a, uh, they're all going to have a panic attack on me. But, thank Walter, you, Josh, thank you for the call, work. man. Keep your brother. Thank you, guys. Adios. Mac, thank you so much for uh, sitting in. We'll have you back again because you're the most interesting thing about the show so far. Gracias a ti. And uh, thanks, Git. For your uh, for your work on the controls, uh, thanks for all for calling in, and uh, woo, we made it through episode three. We'll see you next week at the regularly scheduled time, twelve to two Pacific Standard Time on Thursday. My guest then will be Michael Medved. ToadHopNetwork.com. I'm out. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hey, Heidi and Frank here from HeidiandFrank.com. Hooters is open late every single night. Late night happy hour starts at 10 p.m. And the kitchen doesn't close until midnight. And keep in mind, it's Hooters Swimsuit Pageant Time. All contests start at 10 p.m. With all beers, is $2 and $4. And May 12th is the West Coast Regional Swimsuit Pageant at Icon LA Ultra Lounge. And we're going to be there. We're going to be judging. Mm-hmm. It was so hard last year. What? Judging. Oh, right, right, right. So check out WestCoastHooters.com for contest dates and details.